Welcome to today's podcast with Crosspoint Church, where we share the gospel and we share our lives. With so many fun and new exciting things going on at church, we want you to be in the loop. So make sure that you check out our Facebook page and that you check out our website at www.crosspointwaverly.com. And now for today's message. Well, good morning, everybody. Wasn't that a powerful moment in worship? Just so powerful. So grateful for the worship team, for the amount of time that they spend not only in preparation practically to play their instruments and sing, but the amount of time that they spend in prayer to, uh, to recognize the importance of what they do on a Sunday morning to usher us into the presence of Jesus. And so I'm so grateful for them. Powerful, powerful. Well, uh, a couple things before I dive in. As Clint mentioned, there are some kids traveling, and Pastor Madison and Tyler uh, traveling to Orlando for National Fine Arts today to do their human video pray for safe travels for them. And then want to celebrate one other thing. Uh, this past week, Ragbri went through New Hampton, and a group of families set up outside of the Edward Jones building and promoted Convoy of Hope and BGMC and raised nearly $1,000 handing out water uh, for that. So cool to see the heart of generosity upon people. And so there, you know, people were standing there just handing out bottles of water, and then people were giving donations to Convoy of Hope. As I mentioned, Convoy of Hope, this morning, many of you know Jeff Anderson, and uh, his dad is in the final season, uh, a final stretch of his race of faith. And so be play, praying for Jeff and uh, just that God would help him. He is with his dad right now. And uh, I'll just I'll share this with you. My wife and I were with him a couple of weeks ago. And he was telling me that his dad wasn't doing well. And I said, Jeff, when, and it, when it gets to that moment when you need to be with your dad, like if you need to go right now, I said, our church has your flight. We've got your airline ticket. You go. You be where you need to be with him. And so uh, your generosity has paved the way for him to be with his dad right now in those final moments. And so I just want to say thank you. Thanks for just being generous. Thanks for loving people so well that in moments like that with a missionary, we can say, take care of your family. And so be praying for him. Let's, in fact, let's just do that right now. God, we thank you for Jeff Anderson. We thank you for the impact that he's had on our church. We're grateful for the ministry of Convoy of Hope. And even this week, as kids and families leverage their time to raise funds uh, for it, we pray you bless it. But we pray for Jeff in this personal moment of his life as his father's rounding uh, this final leg of the race of faith, that you would just give him courage, that, uh, that your presence would, would be with them and mark this moment, and that you would give them peace. We pray for the remainder of this service today. Lord, that your Holy Spirit would speak to our hearts as we dive into your word. Would you make it come alive to us, we pray in Jesus' name, amen, amen. A few weeks ago, we started a new sermon series called Retold. We're looking at some of the familiar Bible stories that we would have heard as children or maybe even some of you uh, would have taught them to your children or even taught them in some of our uh, classrooms here at our church. In the first week, we looked at Noah and the ark. Last week, we looked at this supernatural moment when God parted the Red Sea and delivered the Israelites out of the hands of the Egyptians as they passed on dry ground. After they got across, the waters caved in and annihilated and, and came to the Egyptian army was destroyed. As we revisit some of these passages, we're going to see the unsanitized versions of these stories. 
When we share these stories with kids, sometimes we just skip past the, uh, the, uh, or downplay or censor the less redemptive parts. And in this series, we're, we're looking uh, at the grit and the grime of these stories. Today, we're going to talk about a passage that those who didn't even grow up in church would have some idea about. The story of David and Goliath is familiar to those inside the church and also outside the church. When you hear the phrase, David and Goliath, what do you initially think of? We generally associate it with the underdog overcoming the big guy. The small business taking on the big box store, the small school competing against the big school, the small nation being victorious over an outsized opponent, the team with the losing record going against the undefeated teams. These are all scenarios where someone might use the metaphor David and Goliath. In the first two weeks of this series, we've seen the faithfulness and the power of God demonstrated. And even as we dive in to this message this morning and this passage, we will continue to see the faithfulness and the power of God demonstrated. It's funny this morning, Clint, in both services, you've just teed up this message. It was like the prelude of this, different language, different verbiage, but yet the same heart and the same message that God is trying to communicate to us today. On the surface, when we read the story of David and Goliath, we oftentimes think that Goliath is the villain and that David is the hero and that they're the central characters of the stories. And I just want to tell you this morning that there is a different character that's really the, the hero of the story and is really the central character of the story. And that different character, the hero of the story, is actually God. It's not David, it's God. This story is about so much more than a shepherd boy beating a giant. It's about God protecting his people. I want you to turn in your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 17. It's a really long chapter this morning, 58 verses. We're not going to read all of it for the sake of time, but I would encourage you this week to open up your Bibles to read through 1 Samuel chapter 17 and read all of the details of the story this morning. We're just going to take some passages, talk about it for a moment, Continue with the story and keep going at it that way. So at the start of 1 Samuel chapter 17, Israel and the Philistine armies have gathered for battle. They're encamped across from each other. And in verse number three, it describes how they're lined up. It says, the Philistines stood on the mountain on the one side and Israel stood on the mountain on the other side with a valley between them. The Philistines think that they're special because they have this guy named Goliath on their team. In 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse number 4, describes Goliath this way. It says, There came from the camp of the Philistines a champion named Goliath of Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span. That's over nine feet tall. That's how tall Goliath stood. It says, He had a helmet of bronze on his head, and he was armed with a coat of mail, and the weight of that coat was 5,000 shekels of bronze. It's 121 pounds of bronze armor that he's wearing. And he had bronze armor on his legs and a javelin of bronze slung between his shoulders. The shaft of his spear was like a weaver's beam, and his spear's head weighed 600 shekels of iron. Just the spearhead alone weighed 15 pounds. And they sent this man out every day for 40 days to provoke and to uh, intimidate the, the Israelite army. And it was successful. In verse number 11, it says, When Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. Some of you might wonder why in the world that 
they for 40 days had this happen, why didn't they just go at it? If they were both on the battlefield together, why didn't they just go? The idea here is rather than have all of the men risk their lives, they would select a champion from each side, and then whoever won that battle would be the champion and win the entire battle. The champions were the represent, representatives of the nation. Goliath, as the champion, represents the Philistines to Israel. But Israel had no champion because everyone was afraid of Goliath. We have the luxury of reading ahead in this story and knowing what happens. Even those of you who haven't been raised in church or familiar with the Bible know that David slays Goliath, right? It's ingrained even in our culture. They, they, and, and so if we had the luxury of going back and reading this story without knowing the end. As we read this passage and it says all of the army was afraid, the king was afraid, the army was afraid. Listen, if the king and the army are afraid of Goliath, then who in the world will rise up and challenge Goliath? If the most fearless men are afraid, then who will rise up? And in nobody's imagination would they believe or think that this little shepherd boy named David would rise up. And we know as we read the rest of the story that it was him, that it was David who was willing to risk his life and face this beast of a man. None of us would have thought that it was David at this point in the story. He's just an errand boy and a shepherd. He was the youngest and from a young age David was told that he wasn't enough. And in verse number 14, it says, David was the youngest. The three eldest followed Saul, but David went back and forth from Saul to feed his father's sheep at Bethlehem. For 40 days, the Philistine came forward and took his stand morning and evening. And Jesse said to David, his son, take for your brothers an ephah of this parched grain and these 10 loaves and carry them quickly to the camp to your brothers. Also take these 10 cheeses to the commander of their thousand. And so David arrives on the battlefield as he's brought some snacks. He's gotten someone to tend his flock. He woke up at the crack of dawn to take them food. And he arrives in time to hear the insults from Goliath. And he sees the fear of the Israelite army. And some soldiers in the, are talking about what will be done for the man who kills Goliath. And they tell him that the man who kills Goliath will become rich, will become famous, will be given the king's daughter as a wife, and then in addition to that, his father won't have to pay taxes. Some of you are like, mm, I'm ready for that. I'll go fight Goliath. I don't know who he is. I don't know how big he is, but if I don't have to pay taxes. So he hears these insults of Goliath, and he's the first person who's interested in challenging him. And David says to the Israelite army, he says, why in the world would we let this uncircumcised Philistine who is defying the armies of the Lord breathe another breath and live another day? But before David can get to the main event, he has to face two other opponents that I proposed to you this morning were probably more challenging than facing Goliath. And the first opponent that he faced was his older brother. 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 28, it says, Now Eliab, his eldest brother, heard when he spoke to the men. And Eliab's anger was kindled against David, and he said, Why have you come down? And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know your presumption and the evil of your heart, for you have come down to see the battle. And David said, What have I done now? Was it not but a word? David has this courage inside of him to even be having the conversation. 
And the eldest brother should have been the one leading the way and setting the example, and instead he's not. Instead, after David has gotten up early, after he's delivered some food, after he's gotten someone to tend his flock, Eliab assassinates David's character and assumes the worst in him. He makes these accusations against him that he's shirked his responsibilities and that his heart is evil. The thing that David's brother accused him of skipping out on is the very thing that prepared David for the big battle that he would face. This is crazy. Not only is the older brother not willing to step up, he channels all of his pent-up insecurity and frustration, and he turns it into a weapon to try to obliterate his younger brother. And I'm sure those barbs were painful for David. Maybe some of you have experienced similar barbs from your family members. There are going to be times when accusations are going to fly. I want to encourage you to have the courage to see through those flying arrows and keep going. Maybe for some of you, it was when you chose a career path. For others, when you decided to have nothing to do with alcohol. For others, when you walked away from drugs. And for some of you, you hoped that as you made wise choices that you would receive encouragement and instead your character was assassinated and accusations were made. Take heart. The decisions you're making today to walk in obedience to God and on the straight and narrow are going to prepare you for more defining moments in your life. The people around you, even your family, may try to put you down for the way you're living now, but don't let their insecurity keep you from where God is guiding you. These choices are preparing you. David knew that this first battle was not the main event, and he didn't let, him, he didn't let that stop him from moving forward. The Bible actually records that he just walked away and asked somebody else. So as he's facing this opponent of his brother, as his brother is accusing him, he just walks away and again says, hey, hey uh, can, you just, can you tell me what will happen to the man who kills Goliath? He didn't engage. And maybe there are some of you this morning who are facing some opponents that you need to just not engage. The next opponent that he faces is the king. And the king tells him that he can't do it. In verse number 31, it says, when the words that David spoke were heard, they repeated them before Saul, and he sent for him. And David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. And Saul said to David, you are not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you are but a youth, and he has been a man of war from his youth. But David said to Saul, your servant used to keep sheep for his father, and when there came a lion or a bear and took a lamb from the flock, I went after him, struck him, and delivered it out of his mouth. And if he arose against me, I caught him by his beard and struck him and killed him. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them, for he has defied the armies of the living God." And David said, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, go and the Lord be with you. I find it fascinating that two passive men who are unwilling to fight themselves are willing to tell someone else that they can't do it. It had to be frustrating to see what David saw and then be told by the king that he couldn't do it. David could have responded in a disrespectful way to the king, which then would have disqualified him from being able to fight in the, the main event that he was supposed to fight in. He again managed his emotions and he fought the battle and he remained respectful to the king. 
He doesn't, tell, he doesn't just tell the king that he's killed lions and bears. He says that, that when a, a lion would come and carry off a sheep, I would chase after it and deliver the sheep out of the mouth of the lion. And then if it pursued me again, I would grab it by its beard and I would beat it upside the head and kill the lion. That's one tough dude. So I'll just tell you, in a different season of our life, my wife and I were on safari in Kenya, and my kids were really young, and my uncle had done a great job, as any good uncle would, of scaring the daylights out of my children. He set them up well. He said, you know, there are times when the cheetahs will get on top of the safari vehicles and peek in and reach in, and so my kids are scared to death. At one point, one of my children said, I don't like this zoo, and we said, this isn't a zoo, this is wild, like this is Mm, right, this ain't a zoo. <laughs> and so we pull up at lunchtime to this place called Baboon Point, rightfully named, because apparently that's where the baboons like to be. And when you're thinking about baboons, you're thinking of this image right here. You're like, oh, that's cute. Who wouldn't want to eat lunch at Baboon Point? Well, I'm just telling you that if that's the image that you have in your mind of what we experienced that day, you have the wrong image in your mind. Let's see the next image. That's more like it. Look, that's more like it. And so my kids are sitting on a bench at the table, and there's just enough room for them for one of these giant beasts to jump up between them get onto the table, grab our lunch, grab my aunt's camera, and all of this happens so fast. And my aunt's like whacking at this baboon because she's not letting that baboon take her camera. And I'm like, ah, you know, I don't even know what to do. I'll just tell you, I was not chasing after that baboon for a camera or a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. And if it would have been a lion, I'm telling you, I definitely would not have chased it down. But David did. That's the kind of guy that David was. In verse number 36 and verse number 37, he says, Your servant has struck down both lions and bears, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them, for he has defied the armies of the living God. And David said these words, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. At first, David's words could be interpreted as foolish, but as he shows, his concern is born more out of faithful devotion to God. He doesn't fear the threat because he's experienced the deliverance of the Lord and knows that God will deliver him again. Charles Spurgeon said these words. He said, these were noteworthy facts which David had stored up in his memory and now mentions them, for they exactly answered his purpose. We ought not to be unmindful of the way by which the Lord our God has led us, for if we are, we shall lose much. Some saints have very short memories. It's been well said that we write our benefits in dust and our injuries in marble. We write our benefits in dust and our injuries in marble. And it's equally true that we generally inscribe our afflictions upon brass while the records of the deliverances of God are written in water. I'm going to say that part again. It's equally true that we generally inscribe our afflictions upon brass while the records of the deliverances of God are written in water. He says it ought not it ought not so to be. If our memories were more tenacious of the merciful visitations of our God, our faith would often be strengthened in times of trial. 
And so David tells Saul that, that he's killed these lions and he's killed these bears. And Saul's like, ah, I'm sorry, I must have underestimated you. And so Saul says to David, go and the Lord be with you. Like nobody else is willing to fight Goliath. Not Saul, not the rest of the army. And Saul says, go and the Lord be with you. And what David was basically saying to Saul is, I'm not you. My path has been different than yours. It might not even make sense to you, but God has been preparing me. He's been teaching me for this moment. Tending the sheep may have looked like nothing to those observing, but it was preparing me to be the warrior that God's called me to be today. The story then begins to shift as we see a champion who will represent Israel emerge, and we realize this champion is strong in his faith. I'm so grateful that David didn't believe the lies that were spoken over him and instead pursued his destiny. He won both the battle with his brother and with Saul, and he made it to the main event, and he won. And some of you are living defeated lives because you believe the lies that have been spoken over you. As we continue in this story, Saul tries to dress David in his armor, and it doesn't fit. It's clunky. And so he throws it off, and he says, I'll just take my slingshot and five stones. And he steps up to Goliath, Goliath standing over nine feet tall, behemoth of a man and a bigger mouth than his body. You know what I'm saying? And David, excuse me, Goliath says to David, you are too small and you are too pretty to kill me. Do you think I'm a dog that you come at me with sticks? It's no coincidence that in 1 Samuel chapter 16, that Samuel was told to go and anoint a new king. And God told him not to look on the outward appearance or on his height of his stature. He says, because I've rejected him, for the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. David didn't have to match Goliath size for size because the God he served was much bigger. David didn't have to match Goliath size by size because the God he served was much bigger. And so David steps forward to fight Goliath. And before he enters into this battle, he gives this speech in verse number 45. He said to the Philistine, you come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you down and cut off your head. And I will give the dead bodies of the host of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel, and that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves not with a sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. Notice what David points out in his words to Goliath. He doesn't talk about his weapons. What does he focus on? He focuses on the presence of the Lord. He doesn't make it about himself. He makes it about what God is going to do through him. And he says, you come against me with a sword and a spear and a javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel whom you have defied. And he tells him, I am going to kill you, and after I kill you, I'm going to take your sword and I'm going to chop off your head. And then after I do that, your body and all of the bodies of the slain Philistines will become bird food and beast food, right? This is what he tells them he's going to do. 
And he said, my defeat of you is going to let all know there is a God in Israel and that the Lord saves not with a sword and a spear. So David takes these five smooth stones and he puts them in his shepherd's pouch. Everything he used in this epic battle came from the ordinary moments that he spent at his day job. They approach each other and David slings a stone through Goliath's forehead and he kills him. Then he does what he said he was going to do. He took Goliath's sword and cut off his head. And the purpose of this moment in history wasn't so that thousands of years later, we would celebrate that a shepherd boy slayed a giant. The purpose of this moment was to demonstrate, as verse number 46 says, that the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. This is a demonstration of how God fights for us. There is indeed a God in the earth, and he's the one who gives us victory. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 57, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Listen, for some, it may feel like you're all alone, but the story of David and Goliath reminds us that there is a God who is with us. We have a God who will fight our battles. David said in 1 Samuel 17, 47, that the battle is the Lord's. What's the giant in your life that you seem to not be able to beat? Get the courage to slay it once and for all. Walk in the power and the confidence from God and defeat it. And for some of you, the best way to, to win the battle is to never start one. Do you know that I have never lost a marathon? I know that really comes as a surprise to you. You're like, you must be fast as a cheetah. The reason why I've never lost a marathon is because I've never run a marathon. You can't lose something, you don't start. Do you know that I've never met a person who struggled to quit a habit who never started that habit to begin with? It's never hard for someone to quit eating carbs who never ate carbs to begin with. Never met a person who struggled to quit smoking who never started. The best way to not have a struggle with alcoholism is to never let it touch your lips to begin with. The best way to not struggle with premarital or extramarital sex is to not start in the first place. For those of you who are already in the battle and you say it's too late to, to not start, I've already started. Let me encourage you today to choose today to stop living defeated and reckless and start living the holy life that God's called you to. For David, there was a personal gain and a communal gain for him to win the battle. The personal gain for him was fame and riches. The communal gain was that the Israelites would not be enslaved to the Philistines. Is it possible that if you would fight the battle in your life that there would be personal and communal gains? If you slayed the giant and walked victorious, it would not only impact your life, it would impact the lives of others. There are going to be people who tell you along the way that you can't. Who cares what other people say? David's brother told him that he couldn't. Saul told him that he couldn't. Goliath, his enemy, told him that he couldn't. And what did he do? He stepped up and he did it. David knew that he could, not in his own might or in his own power, but because of God. There are going to be people who tell you that the choices you're making to live a godly life and your endeavor to pursue God doesn't matter. 
They may spread lies about you. They may put you down. They may try to get you to engage in ungodly behavior with them. And I just want to encourage you, don't let them suck you in. And if that's a lifestyle that you used to live, don't let them suck you back in. God was shaping and preparing David for the moment he would slay Goliath. There was a higher calling on his life. And I would propose to all of you this morning that there's a higher calling on your life. The outcome of the main event will be determined by the choices that you're making today. As a society, we often celebrate these extraordinary moments when the giant was slain. We tend to forget that the importance of the previous moments where David had been faithful. Maybe some of you today feel like, what's the point in trying? Does it even matter? Will I ever make a difference? Will I ever fulfill the destiny that God has for me? Will my family ever come to know Jesus? I want to encourage you to keep doing the ordinary. Remain faithful. Keep showing up. Keep surrounding yourself with a godly community. Keep serving. Because those things you're choosing to be faithful in are the very things that are preparing you and positioning you to be victorious in the life that God has for you. There's a higher calling upon your life. For David, for years of obscurity, serving as a shepherd. And one day somebody shows up to his house and anoints him as the future king. And then the very next chapter of his life, he's slaying a giant. And the very tools that he used were the tools that he used in his day job. And so for those of you who think that your life is just simple and ordinary, who knows what God is doing to shape you and form you for what he has in your future. Will you bow your heads and close your eyes all across this room? Maybe there are some of you who've come in today and you're not a follower of Jesus and you say, today I wanna become a follower of him. Maybe there are others of you who at one time walked with God but you've turned your back on him and you say, today I need to see my relationship restored back to my maker. In just a moment with every head bowed and every eye closed, if that's you, you say, I need to ask Jesus to come into my life for the very first time. Or you say, I need to see my relationship restored back to him. When I count to three, why don't you slip up your hands all across this room? One, two, three. Lift them up all across this room. Thank you. One, two. You can put them down. Three. Are there others this morning? Thank you, God. Let's all stand. There were at least three hands that went up this morning of people who need to ask Jesus to come into their life for the very first time or who need to see their relationship restored back to him. Here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna lead us in a prayer. And if you raise your hand, I want you to repeat it after me and mean it with everything that's within you. But know that you won't be praying this prayer alone, but that each of us in support of you will also be praying. Let's pray. Say, dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for sending your son Jesus to die on the cross for me. I admit that I'm a sinner. I admit that I've messed up. This morning I ask for your forgiveness. Come and give me a fresh start. Be my savior. Be my king. Take over every area. Take over every aspect. And help me from this day forward to live for you with all of my heart, with all of my soul, with all of my mind, with all of my strength. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's give God praise for what he's done this morning. If you raise your hand, we want to encourage you along in the decision that you've made today. We'd ask that you would text yes to 319-250-8990.
919-2598. So if you prayed this prayer online today or here in person, we'd ask that you would text the word yes to 319-250-8998. In just a moment, the, worship, the prayer team is going to make their way up to the front. The worship team is going to lead us in another song. And if you've come here today needing prayer for anything, I would encourage you to step out of your seat as soon as they begin singing and come forward for prayer. Maybe for some of you, there's a giant in your life. Like there's no way that I can know what all of you are struggling with today. There's no way that I can know all of the giants that are in your life. I had someone at the end of first service walk up to me and they said, thank you so much for your message. And she said, today is the day that I slay the giant of fear and doubt. Right, what's the giant that's in your life today? I beg you to have the courage to fight that giant, to slay the giant once and for all. And so again, I'm gonna lead us in prayer. Worship team's gonna lead us in another song. Prayer team's gonna make their way to the edge of the stage. And if you've come here today needing prayer for anything, and if it's a giant that you wanna slay in your life, and you're like, I just need a person of faith to pray with me and believe with me that this will be it today, that this will be it, then I'd encourage you to step out of your seat. Let's pray this morning. God, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for the power and the presence of your Holy Spirit that has been in this room from start to finish of this service. Lord, we thank you for the convicting power of your Holy Spirit that has drawn at least three hearts to you today. Lord, as we consider your word, as we consider what you've spoken to us today, I pray that you would give us the courage to do what needs to be done. Lord, I pray for those who have doubted the anointing upon their life, the calling upon their life, that today would be the day that they would recognize that you have a higher calling on all of our lives. And so for those that have been playing with fire, for those that have stuff in their life that shouldn't be there, I pray that today would be the day that they lay it down that they surrender all of that to you and that they slay the giant that's in their life and they walk in the anointing that you have upon their life. Bless each person we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining us. We hope that this message was inspiring and encouraging. For more information about this message or about all things Crosspoint, check out our Facebook and head to our website at www.crosspointwaverly.com.